Would you open God's precious holy word to Numbers chapter 14? Last time we looked at Numbers 13. The spies, the 12 spies were sent out <clears throat> to the land of Canaan. They brought back a great report. This is the, the Greek, the Hebrew compound, Ephishki, Ephishki. It's translated, however, or but, you know, however. Oh, it was great. It was everything Yahweh said it was. However. And so they wound up giving a, an evil report. The vote was 10 to 2 from the committee. And the congregation has adopted the committee report, which is simply this. It's a great place, but we ain't going. And they were scared. They were faithless. So now we look at the second part uh, of that in Numbers chapter 14. What happens, what happens when uh, the bad report is brought back? How do the people respond? Well, here we go. Rebellion, number one. The entire community raised their voices and shouted. And the people wept on that night. I had a business meeting like this once. <laughs> Committee bought, brought back a bad report. And they started shouting and carrying on. So they've become emotional. And they wept on that night. It's unbelievable. This is, I got to think about this, but at least in this portion of scripture, this is the saddest epoch in the history of Israel. They had everything. They had the visible presence of Yahweh who had miraculously delivered them from bondage through the Red Sea, had given to them his law, which he gave to no other nation. Divinely protected them as a pillar of fire. And by his instruction through Moses, has given them the pattern of worship and the structure of community or of nationhood, if you will. Even so much as to number those men who would be in the army. There were hundreds of thousands of them. I mean, there just wasn't anything like this in that part of the world. They not only had strength physically in numbers and in their hearts, courage, but they had the presence of Yahweh. All they had to do is obey. Just do what God says. Follow where God leads. Trust God. So in the first, all these chapters leading up to this in Numbers, oh, they were, they were well organized. They looked good. They sounded good. Their worship was second to none because it was a worship designed by Yahweh himself. The very reason they were brought out of Egypt 
was to go to the land of promise and be planted there as God's people. They already had been giving some problems. You already could see their hearts. Already you could see that their hearts just weren't in it. Their hearts weren't in what they were doing. It grows worse even when, when uh, Miriam and Aaron rose, rose questions about Moses' wife from Cush, from Ethiopia. It was an easy thing just to use that one little thing. It was an easy thing then to stir up all the people because for some reason they just didn't like this one guy telling the rest of them what to do. And the, 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 the deal is it wasn't this one guy. It was Yahweh. And Yahweh had said more than once and had proven it with, with divine appearances and workings that Moses was his man. He would speak to Moses. Moses would speak to the people. So whatever Moses said, the people were to do, to do because it came from Yahweh. This is a word of God. They were stiff-necked against the word of God pretty much since they had left slavery. They were begrudgingly going along because Yahweh would do something here and there that would snap them back into place. But this is, this is the whole deal. This is what it's all about. Finally, cross the river and go into the land that I promised Abraham I would give you. This is it. Now, wait a minute. We have to send some spies out for it. We have to study this by a committee before we agree to anything. Bad report, the people fall apart. There's a meltdown. All the sons of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. <laughs> Moses. I mean, no wonder the guy snapped right at the end of it, right? I guess, I don't know. He, he bore so much. And every time he was mistreated, he would still intercede for those who had mistreated him. So they, they have had a meltdown, just the whole bunch of them. Hundreds of thousands of Israelites are in a meltdown emotionally. And they blame Moses for it. And Aaron. And the entire congregation said, if only we had died in the land of Egypt. Or if only... We had died in this desert. Now see, if I had been Moses, I would have agreed with them. I wish you had died out there. I'm tired of you. This is more than anybody can bear. If only we had died <laughs> just yonder, not 20 miles, I think it may be 40 miles, uh, from, from where they had come, not that much of a march from where they were to where they were supposed to be in a land flowing with milk and honey. 
a land that could produce more than they could possibly ever consume. A land ready for them not only to come in and prosper individually, but because of so much production from the land, a land that was ready for them to go into business and, and sell that stuff that they didn't consume themselves to other nations and become very prosperous. It was all ready for them. It was key, remember? However, there are giants there. There are walled cities. The Amalekites, the Canaanites, these are tough guys. They are there. So it's all, it's the best land in the world, but it's bound to be the toughest place to fight. You see, if, I keep going back to Romans 8 where we're, the question is asked, if God is for us, who can be against us? There weren't enough giants and fortified cities. There weren't enough Canaanites and Amalekites and Jebusites and all the other ones added up together. There, wasn't, there weren't enough of them in all together to stop a faithful Israel because Yahweh had sent them. Yahweh had guided them. Yahweh had protected them. And it was by the word of Yahweh that they were to go into this land. So they blamed Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in the land of Egypt. If only we had died in this desert. Why does Yahweh bring us to this land to fall by the sword. Now they're, they're, they're living. See, they're alive. They ain't dead. They saw themselves as already dead. Our wives and children will be as spoils. Is it not better for us to return to Egypt? See, all right. He's brought us here to die. He's brought us here to fall by the sword. I've told this story. I'm going to tell it again because it relates a little bit. And you can sleep through it if you want to, if you remember it. Now, we used to go to, when I worked in the clothing business, went to McEwen's Barbecue. For quite some time, an older lady and her daughter came to lunch just when we did. They had a, the, the woman, the older woman, drove her daughter. And she owned a 57 Buick. White over black, if you understand what I'm saying. It's a two-tone thing. Buicks had torpedoes for part of the bumper in the front. Big chrome things, look like bullets. Big silver bullets. Had holes. These little prearranged holes in the side of the hood. Buick, big Buick, big heavy Buick. Beautiful Buick. Now, this was, even at that time, already an antique. So my daddy was always looking for a good deal. He went to that woman, the old woman. He said, listen, I'd like to buy that from you. She said, no, no, my husband's last car. It's just like he left it. Now, understand this. The seats were covered in this heavy, clear plastic. You used to do that back then. I don't know if anybody remembers that, but... 
It was, it was sticky and hot, but you used to cover your original seats <laughs> so that your original seats wouldn't wear out. It, it worked. I mean, they were in perfect condition. But that hot, thick plastic thing was just real uncomfortable. And the dealer did it. The dealer had to do it. It was a special way that they covered the original texture fabric of the seats. This went on, and we would go in to eat, and they would come in to eat. Day after day, probably a couple of years, we'd always, hey, how y'all doing? Okay, good to see you. And then one day that woman, the, the daughter, came in by herself. So daddy brightens up. <laughs> I'll bet that old woman's dead. <laughs> so casually paid the bill, and on the way out, he just happened to float over to where that woman, that daughter was. He said, well... Miss seeing your mama, oh, she died. Really? Yeah. What'd you do with that car? <laughs> Sorry to hear that. Let's have a word of prayer. Amen. What'd you do with that car? She <laughs> said, Mr. Owens, I'll sell you that car. We made her an offer, and she took it just like that. Now, that thing had a missing bullet, had only one silver bullet, one torpedo. There was a junkyard in Altoona, Alabama that specialized in old cars. I mean, there was a graveyard. You used to see them as far as you, their, their specialty were Edsels. You could see those things as far as you could see. And there were some old Buicks back there. And so... I was tasked with buying that front tooth, that bullet, which I did. Daddy had a guy that fitted it on, put it just right. This car was like it had just driven off the, f the floor. That's what you used to say. I don't think they put them on floors anymore, do they? And so he had about $1,000 in that Buick. Were we married when all this was going on? Okay. And daddy's sitting there in his recliner watching television after work one evening. And phone rang. Daddy had put it in the classifieds. Pristine 57 Buick. $3,000. Guy called. And he said to daddy, you'd have to know my daddy. He said, well, would you take less for it? Daddy said, well, feller, you ain't even seen it yet. You'll probably want to give me more for it when you see it. <laughs> this reminds me of what happened here. They hadn't even been there yet. And they already have themselves dead. <laughs> Why does he bring us here to just kill us with a sword? Our wives and our children. Well, they ain't dead. God has this eternal covenant, this covenant. And there, the, now the, the land, the covenant with the land was a conditional covenant. And the only condition was just do what I tell you and you're going to be rich and have more than anybody in the world. That's all they had to do was do what God said. Well, they failed in that we see through their history. 
Is it not better for us to return to Egypt? What kind of message is that to give to the Almighty God? Calling God a liar. You mean evil for us. That's almost blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. It's almost like an unpardonable sin. This isn't good for us. It's death. It isn't life. God says it's life. Israel says it's death. And they're carried on emotionally. And they've lost control, but they were building up to this all along. So now, they said to each other, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. We're just going to bypass Moses. Moses, you keep being Yahweh's guy if you want to. We're not going to go that route. We've already been in that route and we failed. So we're just going to lay you aside and let you just do whatever Yahweh tells you to do. But we're going to vote in another guy and he's going to take us back to Egypt. Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the entire congregation of the sons of Israel. Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had scouted the land, tore their clothes. They spoke to the entire congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to scout is an exceedingly good land. If Yahweh desires us, he will bring us to this land and give it to us. A land flowing with milk and honey. But you shall not rebel against Yahweh. And you will not, he says, and you will not fear the people of that land for they are as our bread. Their protection is removed from them and Yahweh is with us. Do not fear them. Can you see what he says? They have prepared the land for us. They've already made the bread for us. All we have to do is go in and take it. They're nothing. Don't be afraid. Yahweh is with us and he has removed any protection that they may have had from them. We'll take them. There's nothing to this. The entire congregation threatened to pelt them with stones. This is Caleb and Joshua. But the glory of Yahweh appeared in the tent of meeting to all the sons of Israel. The glory of God. Yahweh said to Moses, how long will this people provoke me? How much longer will they not believe in me? After all the signs I have performed in their midst. You remember what Jesus said when we were studying the gospel of John? If you don't believe me, believe the signs. He always says, if you don't believe anything else, believe the signs that have been performed in your midst. I will strike them with a plague and annihilate them. Then I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. Moses cannot accept this plan. So he intercedes for the people. Moses said to Yahweh, but the Egyptians will hear that you have brought this nation out from its midst with great power. 
And they will say about the inhabitants of this land who have heard that you, Yahweh, are in the midst of this people, that you, Yahweh, appear to them eye to eye and that your cloud rests over them. And you go before them with a pillar of cloud by day and with a pillar of fire by night. And if you kill this nation like one man, the nations who have heard of your reputation will say as follows. Since Yahweh lacked the ability to bring this nation to the land, which he swore to them, he slaughtered them in the desert. Now please let the strength of Yahweh be increased as you spoke, saying, Yahweh is slow to anger and abundantly kind, forgiving iniquity and transgression, who cleanses some and does not cleanse others who visits the iniquities of parents on children, even to the third and fourth generations. Please forgive the iniquity of this nation in accordance with your abounding kindness as you have borne this people from Egypt until now. This has been called perhaps, aside from the intercessory prayer of Christ in John 17, the greatest prayer in the Bible, There is trouble here at a critical level. Yahweh has just threatened to annihilate Israel and start all over again with Moses. But Moses intercedes and prays to Yahweh. Now, what does he do? First of all, he calls upon the name of Yahweh. He lifts up the name of Yahweh because Yahweh is the only true and living God. There is no other God. He brought up this thing about what are they going to say about Yahweh? Moses brings that up in his intercessory prayer because in those days, each nation had its own God or sets of goddesses, gods and goddesses, as Egypt did. We talked about it. We studied it. And Yahweh your point has been made that your name is above every name and that you are the true and living God. What's that going to say to these nations who are around us? So not only bring up the name of Yahweh in our desperate prayer, but bring up the word of Yahweh. Isaiah, oh, it's in Isaiah. Yahweh loves to be reminded. It's not that he forgets it. He just loves that we would that we would think so much of his word that we would remind him of what he said. So the name of Yahweh, the true living God, the one and only God, the most high God, the word of God. Oh, remember your word. You would bring them to this place. Nothing can make you a liar. The covenant of God. You made a covenant with these people. You came to them with the covenant. They didn't have enough faith to come with you for a covenant. You're the one who called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees. It wasn't Abraham who called on you. You called on Abram. And called him out from where he was and promised to take him where he didn't know he was going. And then made a great covenant with him regarding his descendants. This is your covenant. You are God. Your word is absolute and true and cannot be broken. 
and you came with a covenant. It's a great prayer that he offers to Yahweh. You have been with these people and borne them up from Egypt until now. Yahweh extends forgiveness, but in forgiveness, there is judgment. There will have to be consequences for their sin. Yahweh said, I have forgiven them in accordance with your word. However, as surely as I live and as the glory of Yahweh fills the earth, that all the people who perceived my glory and the signs that I performed in Egypt and in the desert, that is that, that adult generation of Israelites who saw visibly the power and action of God in their behalf. These who have perceived it and saw the signs that I performed in Egypt and in the desert, yet they have tested me these 10 times and have not listened to my voice. If they will see the land that I swore to their fathers and all who provoked me will not see it. This group of adults who have perceived my glory and my power, I showed it to them. They're old enough to know what happened. They will not see the land. This entire generation, except for my servant, Caleb, Caleb, since he was possessed by another spirit and he followed me, I will bring him to the land which he came and his descendants will drive its inhabitants out. Forty years later, Caleb rests on that promise, still standing on that word, carries it with him all those years, watching those of his generation die, drop dead everywhere all the way through, traveling in a circle until they cross that river. And Joshua says to Caleb, which part do you want? I want that part. It's the best part. He never forgot it. The Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley. Tomorrow, turn back and journey into the desert toward the Red Sea. Yahweh spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, how much longer will this evil congregation who are causing to complain against me exist? The complaints of the sons of Israel, which they caused them to complain against me, I've heard. Say to them, as I live, says Yahweh, if not as you have spoken in my ears, so will I do to you. In this desert, your corpses shall fall. Your entire number, all of those from the age of 20 years old and upward, who were counted because you complained against me. That's where the book of Numbers comes from. They started counting them at the age of 20. You shall not come into the land concerning which I raised my hand that you would settle in it except Caleb the son of Zephunah and Joshua the son of Nun. Just two. Just two of that generation. Joshua and Caleb. Just those two. As for your infants of whom you said that they will be as spoils, I will bring them there and they will come to know the land which you despised. 
In other words, Yahweh says, you are liars. They will not die by the sword. You know, when Joshua carries them across just one victory after another as they march through. But as for you, your corpses shall fall in this desert. Your children shall wander in the desert for 40 years and bear your defection until the last of your corpses has fallen in the desert. According to the number of days which you toured the land. Remember, the spies went out 40 days. One year of punishment for every day they saw the land. Toured the land 40 days, a day for each year. You will thus bear your iniquities for 40 years. Thus you will come to know my alienation. Ani Yahweh, I am Yahweh. Have spoken. If I will not do this to the entire evil congregation who have assembled against me in this desert, they will end and there they will die. This is what I have spoken. They will die at this place. Then he sends a plague on the ten unbelieving spies. As for the men whom Moses had sent out to scout the land, who returned and caused the entire congregation to complain against him by spreading a slanderous report about the land, the men who spread an evil report about the land died in the plague before Yahweh. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh remained alive of the men who went to tour the land. Moses related all these words to the sons of Israel and the people mourned greatly. Now is, is Yahweh still with them? Can they just continue to march undefeated as an army in the land? No. They rose early in the morning and ascended to the mountaintop saying, we're ready to go up to the place of which Yahweh spoke for we have sinned. <laughs> Moses said, why do you transgress the word of Yahweh? It will not succeed. You're not going anywhere. You're going to wander in the desert. You're going to die in the desert. Your corpses are going to drop and fall. And the infants and the children that you said would be defeated by the Canaanites will come to know their power over the Canaanites. Yahweh will be with them and they will defeat the Canaanites. Why do you transgress the word of Yahweh? Do not go up, for Yahweh is not among you, so that you will not be beaten by your enemies. Don't do this. You're going to fail. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and you will fall by the sword. They hadn't heard that before. For you have turned away from Yahweh. And Yahweh will not be with you. Mm. They defiantly ascended to the mountaintop. We're just going to go, these people, we're going to run back to Egypt. They get scolded. Okay, we'll go back into Canaan. No, it's not going to work. They defiantly ascended to the mountaintop. But the ark of the covenant of Yahweh and Moses did not move from the camp. Moses stayed where he was going to be, like Yahweh told him to, and therefore no one moved the Ark of the Covenant. It did not travel with the people. 
The Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived on the mountain came down and smote them and crushed them, pursuing them until Hormah. They just lost their first fight. They're not undefeated anymore. Because probably one of the greatest questions, why have you turned away from the word of Yahweh? Why would you trans- Why would you not believe the word of God? Nothing good will come of this. Only defeat and shame and death. The sin unto death. And you'll never know the land that you could have known. Well, we'll stop there and we'll be dismissed in prayer. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, Lord, we're humbled before you. We're reminded of the weightiness of your word in our lives, oh God. Strengthen us in our faith every day. Let us grow in faith and let us see how you deliver us from smaller and then greater things that our faith might increase as well and our trust in your word. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.